We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka. Bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. my visionary friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary answers to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll delve into transmutation, alchemy for a world in turmoil. Alchemy is defined as a process of taking something ordinary and turning it into something extraordinary, sometimes in a way that cannot be explained. It was the medieval forerunner of chemistry based on the transformation of matter. Historically, alchemy was mainly concerned with attempts to convert base metals into gold or to find a universal elixir. At this time, we're in desperate need of transforming our current challenges into a positive outcome. If ever true alchemy was needed, it would be now. What is alchemy from a modern-day perspective? What is spiritual alchemy? Is alchemy a genuine possibility or just superstition? If it is real, how can we engage it to help us now? With us this hour to discuss the power and application of spiritual alchemy is UK-based author of The Secret of Alchemist, Colm Holland. Colm spent 25 years working in sales and marketing in the publishing industry. He was a member of the HarperCollins team, which published Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist in 1993. Colm teaches the art of spiritual alchemy in business and relationships. He's an experienced columnist, and his interviews and articles are highly entertaining, full of humor and deep insights to help others find true empowerment through inner transformation. His website, columnholland.com. Column, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Gwilda, it's a huge pleasure to join you today. So you're located in the UK. Where in the UK are you? Some of you may have heard of a very mystical, holy place called Glastonbury, which is down in the southwest of England. Every year, the largest European pop festival, outdoor pop festival, happens right on my doorstep. In fact, they have to close the roads. There's so many people. But for, for at least the last thousand years, it's also been a holy place. It's where King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table 
that that whole myth was born. And it's also where Joseph of Arimathea brought the child Jesus and Mary to England. So, hey, uh, I'm in a hallowed place. There you are. So how has COVID-19 impacted you there? Uh, pretty much the same as the rest of the world. Um, England has for a long time, uh, I think it's just been overtaken by the USA, but England for a long time had the highest uh, proportion of uh, deaths to uh, infections. And um, it was, uh, there were some pretty bad decisions made early on and it impacted a lot of the frontline workers within our health service. And very, very sadly, we lost a lot of great doctors and nurses to COVID. Um, we've, it looks like we've got it under control. Looks like things are beginning with, uh, for the first time in six months, my wife and I actually ventured into a supermarket today. Oh, goodness. Um, I know. Um, there was nobody there. And uh, everybody was being very well behaved with masks and distancing from each other as best you can. Um, but, yeah, that's been a good solid six months. That we, goodness, uh, we, did, we, did you have a lockdown like we did in Canada and the United uh, States? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's really tough because uh, half my family live in Belgium, which is across the English Channel, just north of France. And uh, we haven't, this is the longest we've never actually physically spent time with each other. It's been nearly seven months now. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. We're, we're very fortunate. We live in the countryside. So I, my neighbours are quite a distance away. I'm surrounded by trees. And, and my, my closest neighbours are a, as a, a, a flock of sheep <laughs> that live in the field next door. So... The level locally has been pretty low, but uh, my heart goes out to all those around the world who've lost loved ones um, to COVID. Uh, we've got to we've got to find a way to beat this thing. Um, I think 99.9% of people are being really caring and considerate of each other, and and that's that's great. Uh, we'll we'll do this. We'll. We'll find a way through this time. You know, the human species is really good at evolving and adapting, and we will adapt to this. We'll 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 fix it. Um, you know, I I love hearing you hear that, and I think that um, your work with alchemy might be a part of that. I understand you published the original Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. How has his work influenced you? Great question. So my life shifted when I was forty years old. I'm. 68, just for the record. So it's now um, 28 years ago, nearly. Um, when, when I first came across uh, Paolo Kaler's work, The Alchemist, um, it, my, my whole life shifted to a new dimension. Um, and my life has not been the same since. And I know you've heard, I know you know everybody who's listening, you've heard that so many times. Yeah, 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 you know, your life changed. It was done out. But let me tell you this that I was a very discontent, unfulfilled middle manager working in a massive corporation, uh, feeling under underappreciated, lowly paid. Well, you've heard it all, I know. And some of you are probably even in that situation. You know, midlife crisis, if you want to give it a name. Um, but I'd sort of arrived, I've reached quite a good point in my career, but I, in my heart of hearts, I was feeling discontent. I was at my core unhappy, not with my family or with my life in that sense. I was very happy with that. But in, in terms of what am I doing every day, working, where, where am I going? What, what am I producing? Am I doing anything that's going to enrich the world, leave a legacy? All, you know, all, of, all of those things I was thinking at the time. And Paolo Kahlo, believe it or not, at that point was unknown. Nobody mm. had ever heard of him unless you lived in Brazil or maybe Portugal because he was Brazilian. He wrote in Portuguese. He had written The Alchemist. First time he published it, it didn't sell. I know that's almost <laughs> impossible to believe, but it didn't sell. The publisher gave him back the book and said, Paolo, I'm sorry, I can't do anything with this. Um, maybe you can have more luck than me. Um, he went off at that point into the um, 
into the desert in Arizona. He made a trip to the US and he went off into the desert. And um, it, that trip is recorded in another book called um, The Valkyries. And if you haven't read The Valkyries and you want to know more about Paolo's earlier life, highly recommended. It's a very, I warn you now, it's a very mystical story. And the thing with Paolo is you don't know whether it's true or fiction. Some of it's true. So it's a grey. Paolo doesn't have any problem with flipping between fiction and truth, fact and, and mysticism. Uh, well, sometimes that can get an idea across in a way that it doesn't come across any other way. Uh, can, absolutely. You know, can, can you tell us what's the secret in the story of the alchemist? Okay, so I'm just about to get to that point. So... Paolo did, according to um, his story in the Valkyries, he did alchemy magic in the desert. He was with his wife. When he came back to Brazil, he felt compelled to send the book out again to lots of different publishers. One publisher, just one, came back and said, for some reason I cannot explain, I need to publish this book. It sold half a million copies. It came to the attention of HarperCollins, and the manuscript in English landed on my desk in Australia. I was in Sydney at the time. I was the marketing manager for that genre of books at HarperCollins. It landed on my desk, and for some reason that I can't explain, I grabbed it. I thought there's something about this book. I'll take it home at the weekend, and I read it. And at, in that first reading, I realized that this was so much more than just a little story, a little fable about a boy who is a shepherd boy who leaves Spain and goes into the desert of North Africa to find his treasure, to fulfill his dream of the pyramids. There's something more in this book. And of course, eventually what I discovered, and that's the story of my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, is that the original story is a handbook on how to apply the ancient art of alchemy in your everyday life. So uh, let's go back a little bit. You, you mentioned alchemy magic and that he was performing alchemy magic. What is alchemy magic and how does one perform it? Well, you need to go back, if I may suggest, anybody who's in, in, inquisitive in, to, for that, to get the answer to that question, you need to go back to the original book, The Alchemist by Paolo Kahler. In that book, if you follow the steps, and my book helps you follow them and understand what's going on, if you follow the steps, what you discover is that there is uh, a force in the universe which Paolo and I both call unconditional love. It's the, it's the glue, if you like, or it's the soup, to use a quantum physics term, and I'm sure we're going to talk a bit about quantum physics at some point. But it's the glue, it's the force, it's the energy, it's the spirit, whatever name you want to give it, that connects all things, material and immaterial, spiritual and earthly, um, in the heaven and on earth. And, in it, and that principle was written right at the beginning of the, of the birth of alchemy, five, 6,000 years ago in Egypt, on, on a thing called the emerald tablet. And the emerald... So, so yeah. it uh, originated in Egypt, is that correct? Correct. So it, okay. it, it, it arose out of Egyptian mythology. Um, I won't go into detail on it now. Again, if you want to read my book, I'll explain, I explain all of those origins in there. And then down through the centuries, it, it branched out, like most beliefs and, and wisdom, into di onto different continents. And the, the, the version or the branch of alchemy that Paolo and I um, discuss is actually Arabian alchemy. Um, it, there was a European version, there was a Chinese version, there was an Indian version and a few others, but it's Arabian alchemy. And the reason that we've chosen Arabian alchemy um, is because it's all about intuition, all about oneness with the earth and with the universe and the connectedness that we all have with one another. That's what alchemy is and that's where uh, that's the basic belief now if you're going to do alchemy magic before you can perform any kind of manifestation in your life 
there is a process. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there is a bit of work that you have what, what, to do. You, we can't just go abracadabra? Yeah, no, you can. I've actually, you, we're on the radio, but in my hand, I have a, 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 a pen that my son sent me for Christmas as a, as a, you know, what do you give the man who's got everything? So in my Christmas stocking, there's a pen. It's a gold pen, and on the top is the shape of a heart, and it has some glitter in, in the liquid in the pen, you know, where you've, you've seen those pens where the glitter goes up and down. And he calls it my alchemy wand. If only... It was all about just waving like Harry Potter, you, you know, just waving the wand around and you can manifest gold, you can create better outcomes for your life and so on. If only it was that simple, though. Wouldn't that be yeah. lovely? It, well, of course, it's we'll, not. We'll, we're going to have to take a commercial break, but on the other side, we'll get into alchemy, magic and oneness. Colm and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about our chances of transmuting our current circumstances? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, Has the World Gone Mad? Spiritual Sanity in Crazy Times. LR states, while I appreciate the importance of staying grounded during the pandemic, I think it'll take more than deep breathing to calm the crazies. Thanks, LR. I do understand your concerns. But the more of us that can use spiritual tools to remain centered, the less we're adding to the problem, and the more we can support those around us. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to the episode entitled, Has the World Gone Mad? Spiritual Sanity in Crazy Times. And let us know what you think. With us this hour discussing transmutation through alchemy is Colm Holland. His website, columnholland.com. Colm, as promised, um, we were going to go a little deeper into uh, alchemy, magic, oneness, and love. And you, you made an interesting statement that um, the uh, Arabian form of alchemy really had to do with unity and oneness. Would you go into that for us a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So it's unity and oneness with everything. So one of the themes of The Alchemist by Palakalo is that all things are one. So what does that mean? Let me just unpack that a little bit more. When I met Paolo, here's a good example of, of what how things are all things are one. When I met Paolo, he was really grateful to me because I apparently, according to him, was the first person in the business who actually believed that it was going, his book was going to be a mega bestseller. It has sold 85 million copies. In, Let me back up a little bit. You said something yeah. interesting, too, is when he was ready to transform that book, when it was given back to him by his original publisher, that he worked some alchemy magic. Do you think that that had anything to do with it being such a bestseller? He told me it did. He said that's what happened. And uh, when, when we met, what he said to me is, I've asked the universe column, what I should give you to say thank you for believing that my book was going to be a bestseller. So when I read it, I was the one who said to everybody else in the company, we need to push the boat out on this big time. This is going to be the best-selling book that HarperCollins has ever published, globally, ever. Do you think that his the work that he uh, claims to have done um, – hit the unified field and therefore had an impact on your uh, ability to see the potential? If what he said to me is true, and this is what he said, Colm, I've asked the universe to give you whatever you need to become 
the alchemist in your world. You just need to decide what you want. And that, I believe, is the secret of the unity of the universe. So the connectedness of my desire, of my thoughts, of my passion with that of love that permeates the universe. When we commit to following our dream, to pursuing our passion, knowing what we want in life, according to the alchemist and according to alchemy magic, the whole of the universe conspires to make that happen. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine in your mind for a moment thinking of the stars and there's the moon and the sun and the earth and everything that lives and breathes and solid and matter and all of that, all of the the energy that flows through that is conspiring to make something happen just just for me or, or just for you. It's incredible. So let's 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 look at this from another viewpoint. You said that you were kind of in a point of your life where you were kind of going through crisis of, you know, what is my purpose here? What is my legacy? What am I doing? Did that open you up to be available for this experience with the alchemist? The way the story of the alchemist tells this, and I think it's true in everybody's life who is on a spiritual journey of awakening, who is looking for greater fulfillment, who is looking to move to a higher dimension of, of spiritual understanding, there will come, and, and this is based on my experience and talking to dozens and dozens of people, there will come a moment when a person who we can maybe identify as an alchemist Somebody who is a bit like the guy who stands in the aeroplane when we're about to jump and do our first skydive. He's the guy who says, are you ready? You've come this far. Look, you're in the plane. You're on the edge. You've got the parachute on. You're ready to jump. I'm, I'm just going to say jump. And so the alchemist, and Paolo, I, I believe, was that alchemist to me. The alchemist is the person who comes into our life at that precise moment when, it, when we're absolutely ready and gives us the option to jump and encourages us to jump. Of course, we don't have to jump, um, but we've reached the point where if we don't jump, then the possibility is we will never truly fulfill our dream. We'll never truly enter into the empowerment that the universe has available uh, in each of our lives. So that that is that critical moment. That's that alchemist moment, as I call it. And yeah, I, th I think I was ready. And I think that anybody who is m making that journey will reach a point. And you'll know when you're ready. And you'll know um, when the alchemist is with you and saying, hey, how about now? How about this is the time? So so we are our own alchemist in that. We have to open up to the possibilities of the universe in order to engage. Absolutely. There's a process in alchemy. If I could just uh, briefly describe the process. So alchemy isn't a waving of a wand, as we just said earlier. Alchemy is a, is a process of, uh, as you said in the title of, of this podcast, um, transmutation. So transmutation came from the alchemist term of turning lead or any others regard any matter that was regarded as a base matter. So in, in, in ancient times, lead was not of great value into something of, of much greater value, which is gold in the in the symbolism. What one guy discovered, and his name was Dr. Carl Jung. Many of you know all about Carl Jung and archetypes and the collective unconscious. What Carl Jung discovered when he became a student of alchemy, yep, Carl Jung was a student of alchemy, is that the ancient alchemists would just symbolically, when they were talking about lead and gold and transmutation, what they were really doing is symbolically explaining an inner transformation, a personal transformation from the base matter, the earthly matter of, of ourselves into a higher dimension the treasure is a symbol of the higher self, the true self, if you want to use Jungian terminology. Jung gave the process another name called individuation. So, so when you're talking about uh, alchemists changing lead into gold, it's actually a metaphor for personal transfer transformation? Yes, um, 
but it's always a paradox with alchemy. And that's why I love, I love alchemy. First of all, it always hides itself in plain sight. Um, you, many people will just walk through life and never, will, will, alchemy will be there at this turn and that turn, but they just never see it. Others, so basically you're saying there's miracles already around us, but we aren't recognizing or acknowledging them. Yeah, alchemists call those omens, by the way. So the universe is going to consistently, whether we're on um, highly high, high on, on the level of the journey or even just starting out. In fact, when you start out on the journey of personal transformation, what I discovered is that miracle, omen, what Carl Jung called synchronicity, will just go bang, bang, bang. There will be moment after moment. And I've got, I'm actually thinking of just writing a book <laughs> about all the all of the omens that I've just seen through my life, every time I've committed to transforming something base into something gold. So the first stage in the alchemy process is called the black phase. There are three phases altogether, black, white, and red. And the black phase is the initial phase, and that is the phase where the in the symbol the symbolism of the laboratory of the alchemist it's where we break down the self from the false self from the ego self the, the 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 self that we think we've got to project to others in order to be acceptable in some way the breaking down of that into the very base the weakest matter of our real self the irony of alchemy, the paradox of alchemy, which I absolutely adore because it saved my life, is that the weakest part of ourself, when it's transformed, becomes our greatest treasure. Where does the power lie in alchemy? Where does the magic live? It lives in the weakest part of ourselves, the bits that we generally want to hide, we want to push away, we don't want people to know about. Quite often it's, it's places where we've been wounded, where we feel great pain in the inner self. Um, believe it or not, the ancient alchemists knew all about this stuff. Back in Egypt, 5,000 years ago, they knew this. And they, what they discovered was that when the universe is invited to come and to heal and to change into something of much more value, it will transform those weaknesses into our greatest strengths. And that does require so a lot aren't of those, Aren't those weaknesses perceived weaknesses? Um, aren't they our shadow? How much of our energy is tied up and keeping the greater part of us suppressed? According to Carl Jung, he reckons that 90% of our psyche is the unconscious. <laughs> And only 10% is, is what we use in, in our consciousness. The, the unconscious is a very, very interesting concept, as, as many of you who are students of Youngwood will be able to testify. There is a thing called the shadow self, which Gwilda just mentioned. Um, so the shadow self, of course, is the, the self that we suppress. It's the self that we judge. It's the self that we condemn. It's the self that we want to bury, if you like. And the problem is, according to Jung, if we, if we consistently do that to the self, then the self becomes, in a symbolic way, a dragon. It's a dragon that gets angrier and angrier. It's a dragon that wants to project its energy, its fire, if you like, out of the unconscious into our conscious. And it's out of that that most of us judge others with the same yardstick that we judge ourselves. It's the, it's the yardstick that we condemn other people with. That projection is so destructive. It's the projection of the shadow, the rejected self, that ends up quite, quite frequently destroying relationships, destroying friendships, destroying careers, destroying uh, businesses, destroying countries, dare I say. Um, this is powerful stuff this is the stuff that we all own we've all we've all got this so the more each of us can take responsibility for if you like owning that shadow self and allowing the universe to to enter into that self and 
and begin to bring calm and healing and uh, to ease the wounds, to accept, as you so rightly said, Gwilda, the bits that we reject. So if you are talking about the black stage in alchemy, mm. that would be the stage at which we start to dismantle all our defense mechanisms in order to expose the wounded child that carries our power. Absolutely. The wounded child. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, that is one of the topics we really should discuss in a little bit more depth, I think. Um, the wounded child is, in a way, the repository and it can be a wounded child at birth. It can be a wounded child as a teenager. Um, it doesn't. The timeline is irrelevant. But at some point in most of our lives, and those that don't experience this are so blessed, <laughs> very fortunate people. There are there are some people who haven't experienced this, but most of us have been either abused or damaged or hurt through no fault of the people particularly who are just projecting their own blackness on or their darkness. Well, um, we're going to have to pick up on the wounded child and the shadow okay. on the other side of another commercial pause. Colm and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge, information-packed, past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Colm Holland. We're speaking about the modern application of alchemy. His website, columnholland.com. So, Colm, we were talking about the, the wounded child, and of course we can't, it's, an hour is nowhere near enough time to cover the whole issue. But if so much, and I, I think many of us suffer from that, and you know, we all get our bumps and bruises, and then we, we experience shame and we shove all of that into that dark place. How do we start initiating that dark phase of alchemy? I'll, I'll tell you my own little story and I won't, I won't labor it. I'll, I'll just keep it as short as I can. Let me just tell you what happened to me. I'm quite happy to make myself vulnerable in this way because I think so many people, when I tell this story, do resonate with it and say, okay, that's not exactly what happened to me, but yeah, I understand. So when I... Um, was in my mid-twenties, I was not happy with how I related to those around me that I loved. I, without being able to control it or, or without knowing when it was going to erupt, an anger would frequently erupt without any, in what I felt, any provocation whatsoever. And, and it got to the point when the more I actually tried to be a good person, the more I actually tried to be calm and I tried to meditate and I tried to not, you know, erupt, um, the worse it got. And um, I was very fortunate to begin to read some of the work of Carl Jung and I began to understand something of the shadow self. And he explained that for every action, there's a reaction even within our own psyche. And one of the things that he recommends is that, you, yeah, we need to go in and break down. So I made a decision. Some people will think it was just a crazy choice, but I actually made the decision to begin to meditate in a way where I would begin to identify where this anger was coming from. So I used to take time out every day. I, I actually stopped doing my – I was a high school teacher at the time. I quit um, I was supported, fortunately, by a couple of other people who uh, were encouraging me to do this. And I would take time out every lunchtime. I would just go and find a quiet spot and I would just meditate. It took a year. I spent a year of my life devoted to understanding where this anger was coming from. What I discovered was there was an inner child. There was a boy called Colm. And he wasn't very old. I think he was, a, you know, I finally discovered he was probably a toddler. But man, he was so cross. He was, he was really angry. And so I thought, well, I, you know, I don't know what to say. 
Um, so I, I discovered some work called Gestalt Theory, where if you can imagine putting your child on one seat and you sit opposite and you give the child a voice. So I gave him a voice and man, did he let rip. And I thought, oh, right. Um, I almost got out of the way and, and I was fortunate enough to understand that the universe was full of love and, and wanted to wanted to help me in this process. So I let love and the child just have this conversation. And the more they spoke, the calmer the child became, the more he felt heard, the more he felt like, you know, his case, his cause um, was being was being uh, dealt with. And um, so that was the black phase. But during the rest of that time, I really felt as though the proverbial dark night of the soul had rested on me. But the light at the end of that dark period was that I discovered this wonderful, wonderful person, this this inner child, this inner Colin, and that he, and just what an amazing person who I had never given a voice to and I'd rejected in so many ways during my life. So that was the beginning of the process for me. I think it's so important to recognize that the if we don't process our youthful damage, we respond at the same age that when we uh, obtained it. So we're always acting out of an angry child if we don't address the angry child. How It seems like so much of our interactions, and even the way, let's take it back to earth, even the way people are protesting wearing masks and this and that and the next thing, is coming from such a childish place, and it can all be pointed back to lack of processing of our damaged inner children. Would you agree with that? I can't speak to specific examples. Every one of us is unique, Gwilda, of course. Um, I'm, I'm stating the obvious. Um, sometimes, yes. Sometimes it's peer group pressure. Uh, peer group pressure actually plays on the wounded inner child. Yes, uh, doesn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another. We should have another session sometime where, <laughs> <laughs> where we and, and, you know, especially when you're going through teenage years, the peer group is such you know, becomes the most important. Um, measure of our relationships and our identity. So, so let me ask you this. If we are unprocessed, doesn't that put the power in other people's hands as long as they know what our triggers are? Yeah, it, yes. Yes and no. Actually, um, what I discovered was that people have a power at the point that, yes, they can trigger us, and some clever people will deliberately know that and will do that to us. Um, but I found that my own unconscious, the inner child within my unconscious, um, he actually had all the power over the adult me. And that that power was not wrong. It wasn't as if he shouldn't have that power. That power just needed to be transformed into a constructive power, into a life-giving power, something that would nourish the world, that could contribute to the world rather than lash out and pitching dist- a fit <laughs> yeah so, so does the power of alchemy depend upon our ability to recognize the possibility of transformation and act on it totally that is that is alchemy to a t you've just you've just written Gwilda, congratulations you just <laughs> you just wrote the definition of of spiritual alchemy i i not only did i give my inner child a voice and this is the other the white phase i've talked about the black phase. the white phase for me and if we and if you read the alchemist by paolo Keller, you discover that the main character goes through all these stages which is fabulous uh, which is why it was such an inspiration to me it gave me a whole new framework to see my life um in the white phase in the santiago in the story he goes um, into this thing called the crystal shop well it, we're talking about glass crystal now, what's the, main, what's the main ingredient of glass crystal? Well, guess what? It's lead. Lead is what makes glass crystal so um, glimmering when it hits the sunlight. It's the purifying part of glass. So once we've identified the inner child, once we've given it a voice, in my experience and in the principle of alchemy, then we need to begin to embrace it and heal it. And uh, the cleansing is not trying to get rid of something bad. It's more a case of channeling what is inherently good that's there already. 
And that is one of the ways that I think most people misunderstand transformation. Many people think, oh, if I transform, does that mean I've got to become perfect like some other person, you know, some idol that I, you know, some mentor or somebody else? Have I got to become like them? Well, the answer, no, 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 not at all. It's transformation is nothing other than becoming your own true self. So it's basically in embracing your true nature, and we've been made ashamed and afraid and all that stuff of our true nature through damage growing up. Is that correct? Absolutely. The damage that I then discovered, I did some more therapy. Um, I won't go into it now because we haven't got enough time, but I went into some more therapy, and those people helped me discover the what event had I buried what event had I conveniently or deliberately forgotten where I, you know, like a hysteric, I'd split off. Um, and for me, I discovered that my mother, uh, when I was alone at home with her as a toddler in you know, 18 months, two years old, somewhere around about then, when she was raising me, um, without being diagnosed, was um, diagnosed with um, a, a very mild form of, of epilepsy initially, but it got worse. At, through my birth, it triggered um, a much stronger uh, occurrence of epilepsy. And, and she knew when something was, was happening to her and to protect me. <laughs> and this is what's so amazing. To protect me, she used to lock me in a cupboard under the stairs to, because she was going to lash out. I mean, she became quite violent. And, and I would... So it was more of an emotional epilepsy rather than just a, a convulsion of seizures? Both, both, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The fullness. Yeah, the full work. How so, terrifying. Mm -hmm. So I would hear this stuff going on, and I was in the darkness of of this covenant of the stairs. And those of you who've read Harry Potter uh, books will will I say, well, hang on a minute. Harry Potter was locked, you know, pretty much made to live in a covenant. So you can imagine years later me reading Harry Potter and going, wow, that was me. That was my. So that was my Harry Potter moment in a way. And uh, fortunately, she was she was discovered and diagnosed and helped, and uh, she was able to manage it. And life moved on. But what had happened was never dealt with. It was never discussed. It was not. It was something I just had to bury. And that angry boy, who was in the cupboard, um, is the angry boy that was controlling my life as an adult. So, so, so tell me, Colm, you mm. know. Behind every behind every dark moment, there once transformed, there can be a strength um, unearthed. What strength did you gain from transforming that experience? One I discovered, to my shock, and I have to say I, this is not what I expected, is that the little column who had been locked in the cupboard was actually already in contact with the universe, with love, with light and had this immense knowledge that all things are connected, that he was loved, that he was special. And one of the amazing transformational things for me is that the more I let that child, that, that child that's been transformed, um, have a voice and to, to become a partner with me as an adult in my life, then that's when I discover that I'm able to perform miracles. That's when I discover I'm able to perform magic. When I that's the that's the power, that boy in me is the power that's able to make a change in the world around me for the better. So that was not something that I ever I thought it was going to be the adult who was going to have to nurture the child. Well, ironically, it's been the child that's nurtured the adult. It seems like, you know, um, again, the, the initial part of this that you've described is a form of inner child work, but I've experienced how people will go into inner child work and never allow the child equal power. They mm. constantly, it becomes a full-time babysitting job. How can you move beyond that into the point where you can allow that child its power in your life? Oh, that's a fabulous, that's a fabulous question. Uh, there's nobody in the, any interviews I've ever done has asked me that question. So this is this is a golden moment. Um, we have to. One of the things we can do as the adult is we have to allow the child to almost take us 
and take the hand of unconditional love. Unconditional love accepts us without judgment, without condemnation, without shame, without blame, without um, any uh, regard for what we've done or what we haven't done. It, it just accepts us for who we are. That child introduced me to that unconditional love in the universe. And when you do that, it will change your life. You will be shocked at how loved you are. And you will begin to see that love in other people towards you that you you've probably never seen before, that you've maybe even rejected or you just couldn't accept in their, in whatever way they were trying to. Suddenly, you it's like you put on a whole new set of spectacles, not necessarily rose-tinted, but because life doesn't necessarily change. The stuff still happens, you know, stuff happens, bad things are going to happen, good things are going to happen, but your whole view of the universe shifts. And when you go into that shift, and again, this is all in the story of the original story of Paolo Keller as the alchemist. When you enter into that shift in relation to love and the universe, that's when you can begin to practice alchemy magic yourself. Well, we are, again, going to have to go into a pause. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about alchemy, magic, shift, and how we can apply it to change our situation today. Colm and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. Don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email me at info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Colm Holland. His website, columnholland.com. Colm, I, I can't believe it, but we're already into our last segment. So I would really like to have you be able to complete the thought of the three stages before we go into how to bring this to the street. So tell us about the red. Red stage. Yes, red phase in the alchemy process. We've had black, we've had white. Now we're in the red. Red stands for action. And one of the amazing things that we kind of all know instinctively, in fact, what I've discovered is the more I talk about this topic, the more I realize that people say, yeah, I kind of, how do I know this? How do, how do I know this is true? How do I know that actually, yeah, I can do this stuff? And, and yes, this is, this is right. Well, it's because alchemy is part of our nature and the ancient alchemists discovered that it was part of their nature. It just needed a way to express itself. So action is love in action. That's what, what this is all about. Now, I'm, when I'm talking about love in action, I'm not just saying you know, it's somebody's birthday and, or somebody needs help and you want to give them a gift or you want to help them out because they're stuck. In That's great. I'm actually talking about another level of loving action, which is the, the love that we discovered earlier is the love that the inner child who has allowed um, the adult to engage with the love that permeates the universe. That love in action is going to comprise of one core ingredient, and it's this. We have to know a passion for change. If you are passionate about creating change for the better, doesn't matter what field of life it's in. It's, it's irrelevant almost what field of life this is in. So if it's a re in relationships, if it's in your business, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your own family, uh, at school, at work, in business, it's irrelevant. If you are passionate about seeing love make a change in your community, and you are prepared to have that change begin with yourself, then all the power of the universe will be unleashed in your environment. Well, that kind of starts to explain something because we're, we're taught to fear change. 
we're taught to hold on to the status quo at all costs because everything always changes for the worse, right? These are the belief systems that have been hammered into us. How do we transcend that, transcend that in order to have the courage to embrace and have passion for change? Your heart already knows that that is true. Your heart knows that things can change for the better. Your heart already knows that you can make a change through your own thoughts, your own efforts, your own passion in the world around you. It, it doesn't need to be told. <laughs> Other things have told you that. External factors have told you that. Other people have said, "Oh, who who do you think you are? You know what? You know why do you think you can make a change? Oh, don't you know? Don't don't rock the boat. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't the other." But that's not what your heart says. So the moment we engage with unconditional love in the universal love that unites us all, what what you'll discover, what I've discovered, is that your heart goes, "This is great. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I want to do." And so, so this is the brilliance you were speaking about of the inner child who had not yet disconnected from his heart. So children carry that heart when they come in. Yes. And then we lose it. Some people lose it. I have a great little story. So um, when my grandson, who visits often, when he was a, a toddler, he would do scribble paintings, you know, with different colors. And he wasn't thinking about it. He just let his heart do the drawing and he was being creative. And one day he came into my office and I have a, a Miro. I don't know if you know the artist Miro, but he, when he was an old man, he went back to trying to draw like a, like a, like a child. And of course, his paintings are worth millions and millions of, of, of dollars. Mine's, mine's just a lithograph, I hasten to add. <laughs> um, but um, he sat in, you know, next to my chair and he looked at this painting by Miro and he said, um, Papa, he said, did I do that painting? And I, I know. And I said, no, but you could have. And you know what? If Miro was here right now, he would be flattered that you thought that you had done that painting. Now, that for me is an image of our entire existence and our life. If we can begin again to find the passion, to find the freedom of the child, to begin to unite that with the love that controls the universe and wants the best outcome for all of us, then our dreams, and I'm just briefly going to mention the dreams before we run out of time, our dreams that are equally buried with the inner child can be resurrected, they can be rediscovered and they can, be, can, they can be manifested no matter what that dream is and whatever shape that's going to take. That is what, that's the universe's desire for every human. So it sounds to me like these three stages, um, the black, the white and the red, are actually a pathway to walk back into your true nature. Totally. Um, walking backward so that we can walk forward. Um, we live but it all the, has to do with reconnecting with the heart and each other. Absolutely. The, the heart lives in the now. Um, human aspiration and dreams um, are forward projections. And this is one of the para another one of the paradoxes of alchemy. And, and a lot of spiritual teachers, um, Eckhart Tolle and others, you know, talk about the power of now. And, and, and I totally agree with it. However, the, the power of now is directed, the direction of the power of now is directed by our passion and our dreams. So it's important in my experience, I may humbly suggest, that hold on to your dreams. Um, if they've died, find a way to resurrect them. Spend time daydreaming again. Spend time thinking, you know, how can I benefit my family or my friends or the, my society around me? What can I do to help make a difference? And make, how can I bring us, the world back together again? Because this is the note I want to leave us on. Is so that, we, uh, have, we have the ability through our dreams to impact the quantum level. Um, that's the, the principle that all the indigenous people uh, that worked yeah. with dreams have come from. Can we re-engage that? And is that the alchemy process? The universe is doing it right now. Um, I lived in Australia for 25 years, and I spent l so little time understanding the indigenous dream They're time. They're amazing, yeah. Okay. 
the dream time is speaking to all of us in all societies, in all cultures, afresh. I feel it. I hear it. I'm sure it's happening in the US and in other uh, indigenous cultures. That connectivity to the earth and allowing the earth to participate with us and us to participate with the earth. This is the age that we're in. And I have to say there is an electricity about the age that we are in right now. COVID, with COVID or without COVID, without the climate change problems that we, we're facing every day, the, the world, the universe is saying to each of us, relearn, open your eyes, open your heart, be prepared to learn again about the unity and the oneness. What the universe wants is oneness, it wants unity, it wants um, companionship, um, all of those things. That's, that's, the, that's what the world is here for. That's why we're all here. This is our destiny together. So, so is, is the um, hidden magic of COVID and in the United States of the riots and, and of the climate change, is the magic there? Entering us, you know, the, its ability to push us into the black stage of alchemy. I see, if you have the eyes to see it, I see more um, awakening going on than I see rioting. I see huge awakening going on in the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I see huge awakening going on in the climate change movement. Um, we we focus, the media tends to focus on, on the destructive stuff, but... Oh, naturally, will, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is the shadow side because it, shadow doesn't just live in the single individual human unconscious. It lives in societal unconsciousness as well. But I am just amazed every day how many more and more and more people are awakening and are wanting to contribute and are wanting to bring life together again, wanting to save the planet, etc., etc. This is a great so, time to live in. I'm, 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 I'm so privileged, I feel so privileged that I'm still here to see this, this happening because, you know, the seeds of this started when I was a, you know, a young hippie <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my late teens. You know, we talked about all this stuff, but it, it kind of got overtaken. Now, I just see, the, the, if you like, the age of Aquarius is just raising its, um, its smiling face again in, in, in a way that I never dreamt we would see this happening. It's, it's really a privilege and extremely exciting to be alive right now, isn't it? Always, absolutely. And we, 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 we mustn't miss out on the joy as an individual, the joy that we can engage in, we can discover if we are prepared to engage with our inner child to transform and to become somebody who nourishes the soul of the world rather so than... So if we, if we do that work... Is it going to impact the people around us as well as our personal lives? The way that you relate to them, the way the energy that you, um, you bear in your thoughts towards them will be transformative, in my experience. It won't always be maybe the outcome that you wish because sometimes truth needs to be revealed um, and truth and integrity are bedfellows with alchemy, by the way. So there's no room for falsehood. There's no room of, for abuse. There's, there's no room for hiding stuff away in alchemy. Alchemy will bring the light, the sword. It will cut open the truth and allow truth to prevail. But So not always um, will the outcome be maybe what we thought it was going to be, but it will always be for everybody's benefit, ultimately. Do we have to shift our perspective in order to recognize that in action? Your heart will do that for you, Gwilda, in my experience. Um, let's, let's just remember for a second that the intellect is, is good to a point. Our conscious thoughts and our conscious understanding is good to a point. But the art of Arabic alchemy is to let the heart begin to lead you and let your intuition, your innate wisdom begin to lead you and, and to become the dominant force in, in the choices that you make and in the life that you lead. It is all about love and heart, and every religion on the planet speaks of those, don't they? Mm -hmm. You know, we are unbelievably just about out of time. In closing, what advice do you have for Mission Evolution's worldwide audience as we move through these challenging times? You 
can be the alchemist in your world. You can perform magic. You can perform miracles. If you are prepared to do the work in conjunction with unconditional love, then the whole universe will conspire to make that happen. Doesn't that unconditional love really have to start with unconditional love for ourselves? The most selfless thing <laughs> that you can ever do is to allow love to love yourself. I and that, that brings those parts out of the shadow. Absolutely. Again, there's the paradox. That's, that's the paradox of alchemy. Well, Colm, it has been so wonderful sharing magic with you, and I hope the magic ripples out into the world and has a positive effect. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Gwilda. I'm, I'm so grateful for, having, for you having me. Thank you. Thank you. Our guest this hour has been UK-based author of The Secret of Alchemist, Colm Holland. His website, columnholland.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Please listen to our past archives for all sorts of fantastic guests and information that will serve us during these challenging times. And join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to help transform an evolving world. Music